Greetings in Jesus' name. Ever wanting or dying. So you just got done singing the last words we sang there. What a testimony if it really is true. Never wanting or dying. So, uh, Brother Ellis talked about the foolishness of preaching. I maybe changed it a little bit. Preaching for salvation, it can be broader than that, but I want to start out there where of all the business I could ever get involved with, there's one matter that to me is far above any of the rest. And that is if you have this man or this woman and he or she is a sinner, she's living a miserable life, she's in the straight path to everlasting lake of fire. And that we can place ourselves in the path of that person and do what it takes to get them gloriously saved and live a worthwhile life and ending up in glory with Jesus Christ. Now, isn't that a worthwhile work? Now, how do we go about doing this? And I'm not here tonight to... Uh, put God in a box and say there's only one th way this happens, but we want to honor his word and see what he has to say. And basically, the text that we're looking at tonight is done through preaching. And that's been my experience, and, and I know there's many different testimonies can be given of how we came to know the Lord, but my experience of working in, in mission work and in, in the kingdom business and bringing souls into the kingdom, most of it happened through preaching. And not just through preaching, but the right kind of preaching. And we want to expound upon that a little bit here tonight. So if you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians, I've broadened that just a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we start with verse 17, I read down through verse 24. Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church here, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness, there is to them foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And after that, in the wisdom of God, that the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So I appreciate the opening comments here about knowledge. And uh, so I think uh, we ended up explaining a little, and we tried to... Uh, See what we can do to explain a little more. It's not just about knowledge. It's the right kind of knowledge. And uh, here the Apostle Paul uses the words wisdom. And then we, you look at the latter part of chapter 1 and then through chapter 2 and then and on through a lot of chapter 3. 
He, he contrasts the wisdom of God to the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of men, wisdom that people access or try to access outside of God and his plan. And so we, we go back to where I started out that we, we have this work, this work that has been committed to us. And we have the gospel and we have the preaching. And we want to exalt preaching tonight, but the right kind of preaching. To get the soul that is on a straight path to hell, get them saved and on a road to heaven, it's a supernatural work. It's a work that you and I cannot do. It's beyond us. And yet we're called to do it. And I, I, I try to simplify the things as much as possible. But I understand from the beginning, God, when he created man as the crowning point of creation, he put man on the world as the one in charge. Okay? And so what basically what happens on earth is under the jurisdiction of man. But because man fell, man is not capable of doing God's work here on earth outside of redemption and, and being basically nothing more than or less an instrument that God uses. And so that's the kind of preaching we're looking at tonight. God told Adam, he told Eve, I, or Eve understood, I think, through Adam, not sure how that was, but there is one tree of all the trees that they were to eat, all that was to, there for them, there's only one thing that they were not to partake of, that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And uh, through Satan came around through the serpent, and, and basically, the temptation was that you will be as gods if you eat of this tree. And I think that the basic problem of humanity is just that. The God of heaven has been dethroned, and we are, or man is his own God. Okay? And so... There's only one way to fix that, to get man off the throne and put God back on there. And the reason that people do not get saved is because they want to be on the throne. If to, tonight, if there's anyone here that does not have Jesus Christ as Lord of their life, it's because they want to be Lord of their life. It's that simple. And so the preaching for salvation, the preaching of the cross is, is essentially getting uh, the eye, the man dethroned so God can take his rightful place. And when that happens, salvation takes place. And if that doesn't happen, there is no salvation. And so how do we go about doing this? We, we have here in focus in, in verse 17, and it comes through the whole text here. Not exactly just preaching, but the preaching of the cross. And I, in my experience of preaching, some of the 
times when I have seen my preaching being a stumbling block to a few certain people had to do with the preaching of the cross. And it, it was offensive. I, I've seen it already where, where the preaching of the cross was an offense to people. And basically, I, I understand the cross that took place for Jesus Christ was when he was struggling. And he was there in the garden, he was praying. And he came to a place where he said, you know, take this cup from me. If it be possible, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that was when the victory was won. I, I think from there, you know, there was a struggle going on. If you look at Christ there praying at 70 and, and this great drops of blood and then this intense agony that he was going through. But the surrender. And we see, you know, God as being one and Christ came as the son of God. But we see this as two distinct beings because there was a difference between the will, will of Christ and the will of the Father. And, and Christ yielded his will. And, and this is not a once and done thing. It, it, it happened in the temptation in, in the wilderness at the onset of his ministry. And so that's the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross is essential for salvation where we come to a place where we, we yield and then that's locked on as a stumbling block for the Jews and, and a, a foolishness to the Greek. That word foolishness there has the idea of an absurdity. It's absurd. It's an absurd thing. Uh, the natural man, uh, the things of God are foolishness. We have that in chapter 2. And uh, it simply does not make sense. There's, there's no nothing in our intellectual capability to process how yielding and how surrendering and how allowing yourself to be uh, hung on the cross and, and to die there uh, how that can bring anything good. And so we see the ways of God and the ways of man are diametrically opposed to each other. And how do we get to cross over this great gulf between the understanding of man and the ways of God? And this morning, uh, we looked in the Sunday school lesson where the Apostle Paul was very adamantly uh, against the idea of the Jews resorting back to somehow finding their salvation through uh, practicing the Old Testament law, and especially in focus there with circumcision. And I think the reason Paul came down so hard, I mean, he had some very harsh words, uh, if anyone preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. And he repeated that. And the reason for that was he was he had received from Christ himself the gospel in its purity, and he was seeing them going back to trusting in something aside from Christ for their salvation. And uh, in essence, I think that Christ was 
a stumbling block to them. And if, if we would look at, at chapter 2 and, and uh, verse 8, it's talking here again about the wisdom of God versus the, the wisdom of men. It said that the wisdom of God is a mystery, it says in verse 7. and verse 8, it says, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So it's the wisdom of men that put Christ on the cross. And if you would, I, I have been able to lay my hands on some old records where supposedly, I believe it's accurate, oh, Caiaphas gave a report to the Sanhedrin why Christ had to be crucified. It's a very, very interesting reading. And he goes on to explain how that the common people had no concept of the meanings of the word, uh, of the different names for God himself. And he went into an explanation of what the different names of God meant. This was a very learned man and very taught in the law, and yet when truth presented himself in the person of Jesus Christ, he did not understand it and rejected it and did not receive it for himself. Basically, to, to sum it up, say the type of savior that God provided for mankind, uh, the Jewish leaders did not need. They had another way of being right with God, which we call justification. They had another way in which they could uh, be saved or, or have a relationship with God. We know they were extremely deceived people. And to this day, there's many Jews that are still waiting for the Messiah, as I understand it. And their concept, their makings of what Messiah should look like, Jesus did not fit the bill for them. And so intellectual capabilities in themselves do not give us an understanding of the need for Jesus Christ and him to be crucified. It was a stumbling block for the Jews and it, to the Greeks it was foolishness. But unto them which are called, I trust that's here tonight, both Jews and Greeks, uh, Christ we find in Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. If we want to understand wisdom, we look at the life of Christ. We look at the way he lived. We look at the way he related. We look at the way he died. And that is true wisdom. And it, it goes far beyond our intellectual capability. Now we have the word preaching. Uh, where preaching is, if I understand it, uh, partly used in the Old Testament, used numerous times in the New, it has the idea of, of being a herald or being like the town crier. We don't know about that really. We hear about it, read about it, how there used to be the town crier and he'd have any news he'd have, uh, he, would, he would proclaim it. He would shout it out. It was not really looking at a dialogue as such, but someone that, that gets up and proclaims. And uh, over the years, as we're in this business, we, we want to be effective. And, and I trust that I have some others that this is a heart cry. Lord, make me effective in, in the ministry you've given me.
And this is not just for ordained people. And this isn't completely confined to what happens across a pulpit. We, we read of, uh, of Philip, you know, he went out there in the desert and there was that eunuch there and it said he preached Christ unto him. It was uh, a one-on-one -on -one preaching that took place. And I, in my early days, put a lot of importance, and I don't anyway want to be misunderstood here tonight. I put a lot of importance on homiletics and making sure we have the right introduction and, and a, a beautiful outline, one, two, three, and then and a closing. And, and we try to get this all fit together. And there's a place for that, don't get me wrong. But I had the concept that it's a matter of, of studying and pulling together the right information and, and trying to portray that in the best way it possibly can. And there's a place for that, but effectual preaching to me goes far beyond that. And I want to expound upon that some more here this evening. I believe, and I, I trust that you can say amen to this. We are in the last days. The scripture is very clear. In the last days, there's a great falling away. There's an apostasy that is going on around us. An apostasy, I'd like to say there's a very strong current going away we don't want to go and we're going to have to have a, a strong swimming against that current to be faithful in the end times that we're living in and uh, two very important things that we want to exalt tonight and one is anointed preaching and the other is effectual prayer and those I've read revival, I've lived revival, I've studied revival, and those are the things that are in the forefront when revival happens is because of those two things. And then going back to the strong currents, I just see, we don't know how long time's going to be, but someone told me, and I believe it's true, that the... the um, Electronic technology revolution is changing the world far more than any ever revolution that the world ever knew. And some of the things that are happening with that is a moving away from a local gathering. There's uh, information that can be spread in a matter of seconds across the whole world, just like that. And it, it's attractive to people. Uh, the type of meeting we have here tonight is, I, I would sense, this is not divine revelation, it's just as I perceive, as I look on to things, it's going to become less and less popular, where we gather together around God's word and, and, and just long to hear the gospel being preached. That, that is, for many, many circles, it's, it's kind of a thing of the past, or past becoming that. And knowledge is, is available at the fingertips. And I believe that more than ever, we can be eating and feasting on the tree of knowledge. And you know, there was another tree that was in the garden, and God never told them they shouldn't. Why weren't they standing before the tree of life and, and desiring it rather than standing before the tree of knowledge of good and evil? How different it would have been. 
And of course, after the tree of knowledge of good and evil was partaken of, then God said, let's get them out of here because if they eat of the tree of life, then they will live forever in a fallen state. There's some factors here we don't understand, but I do believe that either tonight, as I need to feed you, I'm first of all either going to be feeding on the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and that's what I'm going to be presenting to you, or I'm going to be feeding on the tree of life, and that's what's going to flow forth. And, and the two are on opposite spectrums of one another. So we have the rise of the empire of man, what, what man can do and what man is capable of. And, and we see that over and over again. We see it that when they the were building the Tower of Babel and how God intervened. And we see in, in the Babylonian kingdom and, and King Nebuchadnezzar just looking at this great vast empire that he himself thought he had built and how God brought judgment on that, and that, that even in the spiritual realm, it can be that, what, what, what man can do, what, is, what we're capable of. We're in the age of entertainment and amusement. And uh, I, I trust you understand what the word amusement means. To muse means to ponder and to uh, meditate deeply and, and lengthily on. And you put that word A in front, or that letter A, amuse, then it's the opposite. Uh, musing is pondering and, and meditating and, and, and thinking, and, and, and amuse is the exact opposite, where that doesn't take place. And I believe that amusement is one of the devil's tools he uses to keep people from musing. And more and more, and I know that Back, uh, going back a little over 100 years ago, this thing of Sunday school and whether that should be a part of the church and that was a popular thing in evangelicals and the Mennonites, some of them opposed it. And the concern was that you take the children out of uh, this type of preaching and, and it's difficult for children maybe to hold their attention for an hour, however long, an hour and a half of, of preaching, which used to be too... Uh, opening message and then the main message and then that has gone from from that to where now you have basically in many circles you separate the children and you try to present the gospel as such to, to them in a different way than you would adults and there, you say well, what's wrong with that maybe there's nothing wrong with it himself but more and more there's this thing uh there was this label that was going around a while, I think maybe it's still around some ADD, Attention Deficiency Disorder, and uh, something you didn't hear about maybe you know, in our grandparents' time, but now it's very common, rampant. Oh. 
but this, with the thing of entertainment and amusement and all that, it's harder and harder to hold people's attention. And, and so this is, this is something that's out there. And as, as we see this uh, acculturation that is wanting to press upon us, when I say acculturation, it's a culture around us that is, is trying to press us into their mold. And, and we can be drawn to that. And uh, some of the things that we try to avoid through television and, and uh, through radio and all that, that now, because of internet uh, access and, and all that, that we can, we can bring this amusement right into our refuges of our homes. And if we're doing that, and I think the same thing that has happened out there is going to happen in, in our circles. And the, the importance of gathering together and, and hearing the word of God being preached and, and being fed and, and desiring it and wanting it, uh, it's going to just uh, find its way out the door. And that's just that, how I perceive things. And so, so we have, we see what's happening out there. When I say out there in the uh, professing Christianity evangelical world, and we see those things that they want to find their place in our midst also. And I praise God for, for the heritage we have and, and how we have been able to, to stand against some of those pressures up till now. So I want to go back to a little more of the right kind of preaching. I, I have sometimes start out to say my prayer is that we can have an awareness of the presence of God. And that to me is very important, an awareness of the presence of God. And, and if I'm here before you tonight and I'm speaking to you, my desire is that somehow I can be used as an instrument that we we know God is here. We know it's God speaking. He's using human instrument, but the more I can get out of the way, the more that God and his presence, his reality can, can be the one that is, is uh, before us this evening. And that, that comes through what I, what I would call anointed preaching. And we have some, some verses that, Paul went into here just a little further down. I think that when he wrote this letter, it wasn't really divided into chapters, but we have here the first part of, of chapter 2. Some of these matters, I think, uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we maybe don't completely understand exactly where Paul's coming from, but I want to know, I want to understand. And I'd like to read here the first part of 1 Corinthians 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. 
We build church not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. And the more we can get the power of God, the more we can get it done. And I, I know that I mentioned about reading revival, and there's some doctrinal differences I would have not been in agreement with, I think, uh, if I was contemporary with Charles Finney. But Charles Finney, from my understanding, preached, he put a big importance on anointed preaching. And, and, you know, it's hard to say for sure, but it seems like somewhere in the range of of 500,000 souls came into the kingdom uh, through his being instrumental in preaching. And we know it was a bigger picture than that. He had some key men that were with him, and they, they did some very intense praying that went along with that. And, and so that's part of it. That back, going back about 25 years or so ago, we had a week of meetings in La Yerba Buena, Guatemala, and we, we saw 30 souls come to the Lord. I think they all, were all saved. Not all of them remained faithful. And, and there was, it wasn't a one-man show. It wasn't the preacher that had powerful preaching that was doing all the work, but the brethren all, the, some of them hardly, they'd left their work, laid it aside for a week, and there was a lot of praying, there was a lot of visitation, and, you know, an hour or so before, we were gathering together, and we were praying, and, and we just felt like God was there, and God was hearing our prayers, and, and, uh, and some amazing things. You know, people, I can't begin to explain how far from God some of those people were that showed up at, at our the church doors that we were almost shocked to see them and more shocked when they stood up and, and came forward when the invitation was given. It is a beautiful experience there. And I wasn't the one preaching, but we were all involved. It was, it was God working through his people. And there was some anointed preaching going on. And, and Apostle Paul, he says he was determined that he wasn't going to, know anything among them but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And here again, the wisdom of God or the power of God versus the wisdom of men. And I've said already, and I'm not sure if you can grasp what I'm going to say here, but I've said already one of the hardest things for man to crucify is his intellect. And I'm not here tonight to say that you know, we shouldn't put a lot of effort into studying and, and even understanding the Greek meaning of words and all that. There's a place for it. But that is not the focal point. The focal point is we get in the presence of God and, and we wait there until we have a word from God. We have a message. We have something to share. We have a burden. And then we, we want God to be showing us just exactly how this can be presented. And so we, we want and we deserve and we need to have a fresh message from the throne of God himself. And how do we have that? I think it has, has to do maybe more than with the preparation of the message that preparation of the messenger where 
what do I need to do to be used where, where God can flow through me and use me? And it seems like the Apostle Paul here was purposefully didn't want to um, preach with enticing words, with eloquence. I don't know, you know, whether he was an eloquent speaker it could have been or not. Did he purposely try not to be eloquent? I don't think so. That wasn't his focus. And uh, there's a message that I really love, the, the rent veil. And it, it, I just want to go into, I mean, I could spend an hour on this one, but we have in the Old Testament where you have the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, and before you could get... Uh, Anywhere else, you, you, there was a big altar there, and they they put the animals, the animal sacrifices there. And uh, then you, you have the uh, the holy place where the, the priests were in there. They were continually ministering, and and they were the, there was uh, the incense there, which represented the, the prayers going up to God, and there was the showbread. And then there was a holy of holies, and there was this thick veil that separated between the place where the priests were continually ministering and the holy of holy, which was a very sacred place to the to the Jewish people. And my understanding is that the high priest, you know, he went in there once a year to do his sacrifices. And I've, I've read this, and I'm not sure if it can be verified for sure, but they, I've heard that they put a rope around his leg as he went in there in case he wasn't properly prepared to go into the presence of God. If he fall over dead, no one else would be able to get him out. So they were thinking ahead, if that would happen, they could get him back out of there. So the, the sacredness and, and the holiness that was behind that. But we know that the very moment that Christ, as he hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, that as an invisible hand went down through there and just slice that veil right open. And someone told me one time that, that they were reading, I think it was Josephus, where they talked about taking out the, the pieces of the veil when, when the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So that, that veil never was put back together. How does that apply to us? I, I believe that, you know, we have body, soul, and spirit. We are the temple. And the soul part of us is representing the sanctuary where there's a lot of religious activity. The, the priests are in there. But somehow, God is in there. He's behind the veil. And, and you can't... There has to be a certain amount of superficiality that goes with the worship because God isn't... We're not exactly in his presence. He's, he's back there. And in Hebrews, it talks about these things that you can do a study on it, but it says that that when the veil was rent, which when Christ is his flesh, so I would understand that veil to, to be flesh, that which we would understand to be the carnal part of man that keeps us from the presence of God. And that veil was not between what I would say in our temple, the body and the soul, but between the soul and the spirit. 
the spirit being the place where we commune with God. And I believe that if we live carnal lives, if we live in the flesh, that there is a veil there that keeps us from entering into the Holy of Holies. And the only way that that veil can be rent is through a, a crucifixion that takes place to where we now have access into the holiest of all. And we now can commune. We can now have fellowship. And it's not this God that's behind the veil, but it's this God we enter into his presence. In the Old Testament ministry that we have, is, is it's always pretty much outside of the veil. And, and if you study into Hebrews there, it gives the idea that even the high priest going in once a year was, was a type. It wasn't really the true entering because Christ was our forerunner. He's the first one that entered in there. And what we see flowing forth from the life of Christ, we see his ministry. We see what, what came forth, the, the beauty of it, the power of it, and, and his just ministering and giving is what you can expect from living within the veil, this close communion, what came forth from the life of Christ. You study what his testimony was. He said he received it from the Father. He just simply passed it on. He lived within the veil. He lived with this close communion. And the words that I speak, they're not my words. I've received them from my Father. So that's why, going back to our text here, that's why the Apostle Paul put so much emphasis in the preaching of the cross. And the, so what I have the option tonight of ministering from the soul part of man or ministering from a, the Spirit, which is in, in communion with the Holy Spirit of God. You know, Christ said, you know, the time comes now is when we those who worship God worship Him in spirit and in truth. So how else do we worship God? We can worship him through our soul. And I would understand our soul to be, first of all, our own will. Okay? Second of all, our emotions and our intellectual powers, our, the capability that we as human beings have that is not supernatural, but it's what we have in ourselves. And if, if that's where the ministry's coming from, and, and I've studied into this matter of there's been some evangelists where, where they have people, they give like a, an altar call, whatever, and they have people coming forth. And there's some that maybe like 90% of those that came forth through the ministry of their preaching or whatever that remain faithful to the end. And there's some I could mention, uh, Billy Graham for one I've read, and I don't know exactly what these statistics are, how accurate they are, but they said maybe about 2% of those that responded through the preaching that actually made it through faithful to the end. And so what's the difference? I believe the dif difference can be whether it's coming forth from just the emotional power or that it's coming forth because the Holy Spirit of God is in in control and, and he's bringing conviction and, and you get down deep to, to pull out any of the roots of sin that are needed to be pulled out. And there's a big difference between both though. And there's tremendous power and emotional power. 
Uh, I've never been to a rock concert, but I've, I've read and I've heard in the news of how people can be worked into a frenzy where, where sometimes there's, there's been like people running over top of each other and, and people being smothered and so on because of the tremendous excitement and power that is generated. That's emotional power. And I like tonight, if I'm ministering from the soul part, I can through emotions, you can move people and they can make decisions. But it's not a decision that's going to get down there, like I said, and, and deal with the, the core sin issues that need to be dealt with. And so the sin just keeps on dragging through maybe their whole life. I've had people respond already that were maybe Christians for 20 years. They're confessing things that I say, hey, that should have been confessed back the day they made their commitment to Christ. Why is it coming out now? So the primary vehicle for getting souls into the kingdom is anointed preaching. That anointing is something that comes from God. And Jesus said when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, who convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's his work. If, if, if he has the instruments to work through, that's what you should expect out of preaching. Convicting the world of, of, of uh, sin. You know, bringing people to conviction uh, of their own sinfulness and of righteousness. You know, you meet people that, you know, they're the worst sinners, but they themselves think that somehow they're okay with God. They don't see God and his righteousness. If, if we see the righteousness of God and we have sin in our lives, we, we understand the difference. God does not save us in our sins. He saves us from our sins as we repent. Then of judgment. When, when the Holy Spirit has, has the freedom to do so, he wants to bring people to a place they understand the road they're going is a straight road to eternal hellfire and they need to do something about it. And, and if, if that, the Holy Spirit has the power to work through us in that way, that's what we should expect. Anointed preaching. So I could put it this way. So we're called to, to minister. This could be ministering from the pulpit. It could be going out on the street. It could be teaching Sunday school. It could be in the classroom with the children. Uh, we're called to minister. And we have, we need the equipment that, that it takes to get the job done and get it done right. And there's two stores we can go to to buy the tools we need. And the one is what we call the store of human capability. It can be talents. It can be emotional power. It can be intellectual power. It can be seminary, higher education. It can be entertainment. Someone told me that one of the main resources used for evangelism in North America is rock concerts. This came from someone that had done a lot of study into music and was teaching on it. And so we can go that route. Uh, people, you know, they're not attracted to old-fashioned preaching, so we got to bring all this entertainment into it. And I remember even back in the days when I was... Uh, ministering in Guatemala where some of the brethren were drawn to somebody that was bringing these Jesus movies in. 
And I personally, I don't, you know, we can't put God in a box again, but I don't believe God is works through entertainment. The Holy Spirit does not work that way. And uh, A.W. Tozer wrote an article on that, if any of you have a chance to read it on, on religious movies and, and how wrong they are. And the other store we can go to is, we talked about already, the Holy of Holies, the, the knowledge of God, the communion with God, the, the preparing of the messenger. But, you know, am I fit to preach it? This, this word is so high, the standard is so high, am I fit to preach it? Or is there something in my life that could somehow adulterate the message that is to be flowing through me? Is it going to come through clean and clear? Or is it as it flows through me, is, is there things in my life that's going to uh, bring impurities as it, as it comes out? And the evangelical world, for the most part, they, um, they go to seminary and then they get this degree and they can put it on the wall and now they're qualified to preach. And maybe they are, maybe they're not. But in the seminary, did they teach them how to get victory over lustful thoughts? Or was it all just about these high concepts of God and the Hebrew and the Greek meanings of all these words, et cetera, et cetera? And which is more valuable to the church? And I wondered already why the very the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these, these were the most learned men and they had access to the scriptures, they had access to all the um, prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. And, and how many of those prophecies as we look back now, uh, just one after the next were fulfilled and, and how they missed it. These were the men that were, were students of the word. And is it possible that we can find ourselves in the same place? So learned in the things of God and yet so far from knowing God himself. So the messenger, there's so many distractions these days and materialism can grip us and I struggle with it. This morning I was reading this, this beautiful thought that we gaze on God and we glance at the earthly things. Isn't that beautiful? That sometimes maybe I gaze too much on the earthly things and I give a quick glance at God. And we, we can't really get the job done if that's the way we operate. Undisciplined lives, materialism, worldliness, distractions, hindrances, struggles with lustful things. Uh, these are all things that we're going to hinder from, from the anointed preaching. There's one other thing I wanted to bring into this as far as preaching uh, and as far as missions also, and this idea of the social gospel. And I, 
know how many of you have. I have a compilation of the early, the sword and trumpet, and, and, and there's a couple articles that just grab my attention, and I, I photocopy. This one's a frank discussion on Mennonite missions, missionaries, and methods, July 1930. This one, the title, The Social Gospel by John Horsch, January 1930. So we're looking back, uh, what, uh, about uh, 92 years ago. And uh, what modernism was doing in the social gospel. And at the, at the foundation of the social gospel was this idea that man is, is basically good and that if you get him in the right environment, then he's going to choose right. And, and the idea that instead of preaching the gospel and individually inviting people to come to Christ, we Christianize the masses. Uh, we, we bring Christian concepts in, into a, a society, and those concepts is, uh, will make them, if we get them in the right environment, then everything's going to be good. And uh, out of that sprung forth, and of course we have hindsight now, and the, these were men that I believe were the prophets of their day and the things they saw coming on, and you go like 30 years down the road from this, 1960s, and, and we look at it now. I was in, a, I think it was like a, a second-hand bookstore, some other things, a, a Mennonite uh, institution, and they had pictures of their missionaries, and they're going out there, and they're teaching agriculture, and they're, they're trying to maybe get uh, clean water into these areas. And this is what the focus of missions now is. And how different it is from what we read missions was in the early church. What was missions? It's what we're talking about tonight. It was preaching the gospel. It's going out and, and proclaiming the message of God and getting people to repent. And then churches are formed out of that and, and, and churches are established. And that's basically what missions was. And that, I think even... Uh, here, the frank discussion of Mennonite missions, missionaries, and methods. Some of the concerns they had, I would have the same concerns of how the conservative Mennonite church does missions today. How much of missions is actually the same as what I said it was as we read in the book of Acts, the early church? How much of it is has certain connotations of the social gospel? The primary focus is not preaching and getting souls in the kingdom, it's, uh, it's social work. It's, it's going out and, and, and helping in, in uh, different disasters. And this is, this is good work, it's not, don't get me wrong, but if we somehow help make life easier for someone here and they still end up in hell, you know, how much have we done? You understand what I'm saying? So that's a basic concern I have for, for preaching the gospel and for missions is that we look at the, the New Testament model and, and we model that and, and we, we go forth and we preach the gospel and, and we get people in the kingdom and that, that's how the world's changed. It's not through political, it's not through social programs, it's through changed lives. And I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us the same it was as it was for the Apostle Paul and, and the other men. Now, we don't see maybe like Apostle Paul did. I, I just marvel at how many churches were established in his lifetime 
and and uh, how how much harder it seems for the gospel to penetrate. And, and I do believe that people are more gospel hard. And I mentioned about the revolution that is taking place with uh, technology. And, and just in Peru, from the time we left in 2014, and I was back there two years ago, and that brother Mark Keeple with me, and I said, things have changed drastically. We'd go out in the market, and it was like a hunger. People were flocking around us sometimes for, for uh, literature and, and what we were uh, presenting to the people. And, and the last time I went, there was a number of people. No, it, something drastically changed in a couple years' time. And I believe it has to do with, with just that. Um, back when we were there, there was access to internet through these internet cafes. And now, uh, in just a few short years, people, most people have internet in their pockets. And, and there's just the connection of the possibility of evil that these people and what it's doing to them is just a burden to me. Not just, not just those people that never really experienced the gospel, but what I, I am concerned that it can do to us and, and how it can change us in a similar way. And also some, you know, in, in the area we were at, there was not a lot of just gross uh, indecency. And that I've seen change in a couple years' time also. And it's, it's that influence that is changing the culture in a very rapid way. So these are some of the things we're up against, but the power of God is still available to us. And I, I want to have faith. I want to believe that even in this age, as we see these things coming on, the pressure to compromise, as, as I read about the, um, the great tribulation and what that all could mean, I, I, I wonder if it might not be that pressure to compromise, pressure to to somehow adapt and adjust to, to what is going on around us and, and to change the way we live and the values we have because of, of how difficult it become to even function and even to um, do business and relate to society without compromising. So this is just some of the burdens I share with you tonight. and. Uh, in closing, I want to say, let's exalt preaching. Not exalt the preacher, we're ex exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, but put importance on it. And this is something I want to, you know, in, in my home, we're raising soldiers of Jesus Christ, and, and let's make preaching a very central part of the work of, of, of kingdom building and of the church. And, and when there's preaching, let's, let's support it, both with prayer and in preparation. And if, if we're called to preach, just put, let's put a lot into it. And that a lot isn't just trying to get all our thoughts organized right, but to, to walk with God and, and to allow that walk to flow forth. That, where people really feel blessed and they feel drawn. I see that and even in the tent meetings, I of course wasn't around, I don't know if anybody here was of the Bronx, but people were drawn, there was something there and it wasn't because they were powerful preachers as much, I think 
God was there and then people were drawn to it and God was doing things. Not that everything maybe was right and good, but but uh, the power of God was there and people were getting saved and, and people were changing their lives and that's what it's all about. It's a beautiful work. Uh, the Lord bless, we'll call for a song at this time.